You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We are here to channel our inner Princess Bride. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, pastor of Redemption Hill Church, located in the Des Moines metro. It's been a while. It's been a while, Logan, since yeah. we've had a podcast. Yeah, it's... it's kind of summer break. My life's crazy right now. We're moving and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just not keeping up. I've had more responsibilities at work. Yeah, but we're back in the saddle. You love me less. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, did you get that? We're back in the saddle. Oh, yeah. And why is that Why is that relevant? Because you are living on a horse farm now. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we are actually on my back new back patio. And uh, just to the right of me, I don't know, 30, 40 feet are a bunch of horses, maybe less than that. So if you hear any ambient noise or if you hear any neighing or you hear birds chirping or whatever, we're just chilling on the back patio and wanting to talk about marriage. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Question for you. That's the Princess Bride that he's talking about. Yeah. So like, I've never actually seen that movie in full. (laughs) Wow, I it's know. such a, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> well, especially within Christian circles, okay, because it's like a, a you know supposedly good, a like clean movie. Is it clean? I mean, like every Christian uh, I know raves about it, and they're like, I've never seen Princess Bride, and they're like, what? It's like, I mean, it's like you never read your Bible. <laughs> I mean, it's not like pure, it's not Veggie Tales clean, uh, like where it's pure and just there's no swearing whatsoever. I mean, it has some swearing. There's reference to uh, female anatomy. Okay. Near the end, but there's no like nudity and okay. There's murder. So well, on, on plots. In light of what we experienced today, it's probably like rated G. Honestly, <laughs> fit right on the Disney uh, Channel. Oh and my family. Yeah, no joke. Well, we are here to talk about marriage, and I'm I'm happy that we are uh, at Redemptional Church in particular. We are, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and the last two sermons mm-hmm. in the Sermon on the Mount deal directly with marriage. So two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we talked about um, adultery adultery and lust, right? And then talked about uh, adultery and divorce. We took a break because we had a baptism Sunday where we celebrated uh, several people getting baptized. Amen. Yeah, that was awesome. That was great. Um, but we've really been thinking about this. And in addition to that, and you're in a community group, so you've um, experienced this a little bit. Uh, I've been writing blogs for our church. There's four out there right now, and I'll probably get, write eight or nine, specifically on humanity, sexuality, um, what does that mean, especially in light of marriage, even mm-hmm. being single, right? Having kids, where you talk about the, a, a marriage and having a family or whatever. And I'm uh, really trying to think well about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, right? Because I think, is it, is it safe to say that these terms are um, more controversial today? Yeah. And they shouldn't be? Yeah, for sure. Especially with like Matt Walsh's new documentary, What, what is, a is, a is a Woman? Which, here's what I'm going to say. I watched that. It's excellent. And I'm not a fan of Matt Walsh, not because I know him or don't, you know, I know him well or whatever. You know, I've listened to some of his podcasts. He just comes across as really snarky and mean. Yeah. He's a contrarian. Yeah. And he's, you know, whatever, you know, not my style in terms of like, you know, taking in cultural news, cultural politics, things like that. The do- he is not the same person in that documentary. He is as cool as the other side of the pillow. He is, he is, is, is he is as, uh, as cool as a cucumber, right? Whatever all those idioms are, right? Uh, shout out to Stuart Scott, um, growing up watching ESPN. 
And uh, he does a really, really good job of interviewing people, asking one basic question, right? Flies are at you, aren't they? That's what yeah. happens, happens when you're around a bunch of horses. Yeah, we're outside. We're outside. And it's really well done. And I'm, I'm astonished. I'm not astonished on the one hand because I'm living in this culture. I'm seeing everything go down as it go, you know, right live. I'm astonished on, on one level because one basic question cannot get answered by people who have their PhDs in like gender studies at the university. Right. And, and no one wants to answer it. I think that's, that's the dirty little secret. No one wants to answer that because they don't get called out by whatever, you know, powers that be, (laughs) whatever powers that be, whatever woke powers that be. And yes, I use the word woke that exist. So it is interesting to me, but we actually think there's dogs barking in the background. Now we get full effect today for the listener. (laughs) This this is, this is cornfield. We are on a farm. You're getting the farm noises. You're getting the farm noise. I'm sure there'll be a tractor, you know, in a moment here. So we want to ask these basic questions and also, and more specifically, talk about the importance of marriage according mm-hmm. to God. And so uh, what I thought I'd do at the beginning here is is um, read part of our confession of faith. We're a confessional church. We're part of a confessional denomination. And just use that as to kind of kick off. It's more extensive than this, but I'm going to weave in our confession of faith throughout. And you'll, you'll begin to see kind of how it fits in and and really how important it is that a denomination and local churches speak very clearly, Mm -hmm. very clearly on marriage, on sexuality, on humanity, what it means for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman and how those two sexes are, cannot be, you can't construct a gender out of that all of a sudden, right? They're, they're together. A male is a male, a man, a female is a female period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so here we go. Read this in uh, our Confession of Faith, 27.1. Marriage is to, between, to be between one man and one woman. It is not lawful for any man to have more than one wife, so speaking to polygamy, right? Mm-hmm. Nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. So it could be polygamy. could be, I mean, we could see how this pushes back against, obviously, adultery, things like that, sure. right? So really clear. One man, one woman, they get together. So let's start out with this. Marriage has become political. Would you agree with that statement? Um, partly, I feel like. Also, so with one aspect, I think it's definitely become political, especially with you know the 2015 Supreme Court decision on marriage. That's Obergefell versus Hodges, right? See, I I, I need you for these like specifics. I'm <laughs> yeah. good with generalities, sure. Um, but I think that definitely helped it be more political, and you know, getting involved with also like the the state side of things like with marriage comes uh tax benefits right like which is part of the push of obergefeld um but at the same time i'm seeing it i'm just seeing it almost like less and less talked about like i've seen right. so many different videos and essays or blogs on just how marriage is almost dying out with the yeah. next generation as something yeah. that's undesirable yeah and that's something i talked about last sunday um, which is the divorce rates down mm-hmm. in compared to 2000, which was like 40%. Now we're back down in the teens and everyone, some people celebrate that. Like, look at the marriage divorce or divorce rates down. That's what I meant. Divorce rate, not marriage rate, divorce rate. And it's because no one's getting married. Right. So the marriage <laughs> rate is down. <laughs> yeah. So marriage rate is down along with the divorce rate. And so there, there seems to me, Logan, it's just in the ethos of America, mm-hmm. a, a philosophical shift 
in how people are thinking about marriage. Mm-hmm. Here's what I mean. And feel free to interact with some of these ideas. Cause I'm kind of thinking kind of off the cuff, but I've been thinking pretty deeply about this for, for several months, if not way longer. In, in America right now, there's such a heavy focus and emphasis on the self. Sure. Like, it's all about you. And as an American, right, with, who have inalienable individual rights, you know? Yep. This fits really neatly to some respect um, into what people think about what it means to be American. It's all about me. I'm going to go get mine. I'm going to do things because I want to. Sure. In that, though, I- we've lost a sense of what it means to be connected to other people. Sure. And the importance of these local communities, whether it be the family, the church, or another civic, you know, uh, organization, we've lost any sense of that. And so it's no wonder to me that we've, in turn, because we focus so much on the individual, it's all about me, we've lost any notion of how important it is and how beneficial it is to be part of a marriage and then a family. Sure. I mean, I think that individualism is kind of baked into, you know, our even... I forget if it's the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution itself, but the idea of, you know, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. Life. Whose life? My life. Right. Whose liberty? My liberty. Whose happiness? My happiness. So I would say in part that's there in the Declaration of Independence, but what's also there and what is assumed, I think, Mm -hmm. in our founding fathers is that we are individuals who are connected connected to other people. Right. And we've totally isolated ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this might be a controversial statement, but I like controversy. Why not? What all the lockdowns did during 2020 and 2021 isolated people even further. I don't think that's controversial. Oh. I think everyone has felt that isolation you know, yeah. coming even yeah. even further because you were forced into your own home. Yeah. You know, can't you go, go out. Work. Can't yeah. hang out with friends. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm, uh, I'm got to find something else to be controversial. <laughs> right. Um, but but w- w- with all that, you like, so the politicize, politicization of marriage, yeah. um, which is what we were talking about. It's like, I see it as almost just becoming out of vogue. You know, it's what do you mean? marriage isn't popular anymore. Yeah. Um, it's not really talked about as much because uh, it just is. You can marry who you want, essentially. Yeah. And it's whatever. I mean, I remember, oof, maybe read this six months ago. There was a, a court case in, I think, the state of Massachusetts where um, this 40-year-old man wanted mm-hmm. to marry his, I think it was a stepdaughter. Ugh. You know, and she was of, of age. Sure. You know, I don't know, early 20s or something. And the question is, why not? Why not? You know, I mean, that's where we've come to now. Sure. Right? Uh, once once the first domino fell, or Burke fell versus Hodges, 2015, other dominoes are now beginning to fall, and a in a and there's been a major move away from God's design mm-hmm. for marriage. Like I said at the beginning, at the outset, with our confession of faith, one man, one woman, period. Yep, and I think this is all due to the basically almost like a lack of of solid definition of what marriage is. Well, we're going to talk about because totally. What was the, what was the argument in a Burgerfeld? You can marry who you love. You know, marriage is doesn't about affect love, you. Love between yeah. two individuals doesn't affect you. What they do in their own private life. Well, now you have. Why can't it be marriage between multiple people yeah. who love each other, or a father and a stepdaughter? Right, right. That 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 definition of oh, marriage is just 
you know, the union of two people that love each other is so broad, it opens the door to so many different possibilities. Right. And so, you know, on the one hand, you know, the state, if they want to define things the way they ever, they want to, whatever, regarding marriage, whatever. What we've lost, though, completely, and I think this is, this is bearing out in our society, the state in general, I say whatever earlier, but in general, it's lost its understanding what it means to be married according to God. Sure. And when the moment you move away from those principles, you begin to see uh, the, the bad fruit as a result of that. This is where you and I were talking earlier, you know, is marriage a common grace? And I say, absolutely, sure. it's a common grace. Because meaning, meaning like uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. This is something that God gives for all people. And when sure. you, when you recognize it for what it is, then there's a, a, a sense of blessing from it. Even mm-hmm. if you're not a Christian and understand why marriage exists in the first place, it exists because it's part of natural theology. Sure. It's the way we look out and we see, you know, it's like going to Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day, he pours out speech night and night, you know, pours out knowledge. That particular verse in Psalm 19 is really talking about we can look with our eyes or understand science, biology, just basic biology, XX chromosome, XY chromosome, and know what a man has and what a woman hands, woman is and has. And when you put those parts together, they it, work. They, they work. They fit. <laughs> and sometimes there's babies. <laughs> there are babies. And we've lost all sense of the common sense. Hmm. And that's so when I say common grace, this is something God has given for all of humanity to embrace, to enjoy, and to receive the blessings from it. And the moment you break from that, guess what? Chaos. Don't be, don't be shocked when there's no blessing when you break from God's design. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's go through God's design. I think that's really important. If we're, if we're making the assertion that we're currently living in a generation that has completely moved away from God's design. And the way you put it, Logan, is that we no longer even talk about marriage or think about marriage anymore. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an afterthought. We want the listener, we specifically want Christians to understand the importance of God's design and the blessing that comes from God's design mm-hmm. for marriage between a man and a woman. And sexes are not malleable, right? Right. Biological male, biological female. So where do we go? Always first to the garden. To the garden. Back to the garden. There's a lot of theology in of theology. just those first three chapters. I had the thought the other day, like, I could preach 50 sermons in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 at least. <laughs> there's just so much there. We're doing, like, 40 sermons in the Sermon of the Mount. It's like, mm. there's just so much good stuff. So there's, we're not going to go all, but talk about all of Genesis 1 and 2, but some key texts that help us understand men and women. So go back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So image and likeness, very important terms here. Mm-hmm. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So let them. So in that word man, everyone looks at that and thinks just the dude. No, it's actually men and women, which right. we're going to get to in verse 27. So let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God is creating man and woman right. and entrusting them with responsibilities. Verse 27. So God created man in his, his own image. There's that word again. So we had image and likeness in verse 26. And then the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Mm-hmm. Really important verse. That's the first place you need to go to when you talk about God's design for men and women specifically within 
marriage. So male and female are made in the image of the triune God. Male and female were made in the likeness of the triune God. Male and female were given joint responsibilities to have dominion over what God has created. Like if you, if you turn around, you don't have to. But what I'm looking at, at right now is this creation, these rolling hills in this part of Iowa, which is funny because where I used to live. Yeah. It's like flat as a pancake. <laughs> 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 but drive 30 minutes from there. Sure. It's like beautiful rolling hills. You know? Or if you're up in Minnesota, you look out and you just see like trees, trees. tons and tons of trees. And, and for nine months of the year, snow and trees. Snow. Don't miss that. I, we digress. But we're supposed to have dominion and subdue mm-hmm. what God has created. And it's important here. And it's together. Yeah, and it's together. And it's completely done together. So let me read this from our Confession of Faith because I said I wanted to weave that in. And then, Logan, we want to talk about the next verse, which is Genesis 1, uh, verse 28. But this is our Confession of Faith, 27.4. It is lawful for Christians and non-Christians to marry. Kind of talked about that. This is common grace that God gives. Would you disagree with that? So I, I'm going to say this tentatively because um, I'm, I'm not sure my actual like full position because that common grace argument I think is is very good um, and it's before the fall that's true um, but also arguably they are Christians mm. yeah. you know um, so my idea that I've been sort of mulling around is marriage in its in its totalitarian totality is between a man a woman and God yeah so there's a covenant made between the man and the woman and with God you know, God himself. And so a true marriage is a Christian marriage. So and qu- marriages that fall outside of that would not be a true so marriage. So my question for you is, and that's a fair, you know, uh, point to bring up. Can marriage between a man and a woman, when they unknowingly, it's, and it's unknowingly before God to them, not to God, of course. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like still before God in one sense, like he gave the gift of marriage. Sure. But it's still before him, whether they recognize it or not. Well, right. So that's there's a difference between before him and actually like with with him. Yeah. So like so for instance with with my with my wedding with my marriage, like it it wasn't just a commitment to my wife. It was a commitment to also honor God in my marriage and mm-hmm. how I'm supposed to you know execute my roles as the husband. Yeah, this is where I would go to Romans one. Sure, and I would say um, they were uh, knowing God was repressed. Right. right. And unrighteousness. Yep, and unrighteousness. So I still think there's a sense of common grace, but we've oppressed where that grace has come from. Sure. You know, if you're not a Christian. Sure. You said you've rejected God mm-hmm. in your heart. Yeah. Well, it's one of the one of the themes of Romans 1, uh, the latter half of Romans 1. So I would, I would go there to kind sure. of tease out, you know, where we are with this. And also, just, just to point out, if someone says, like, well, if you believe that um, marriage not between two Christians is wrong or like not a true marriage should they like divorce i'd go to like first corinthians 7 where it says like if you're a believing spouse with an unbelieving spouse stay together yeah you know um so like i said i'm only tentative like i'm not i'm strong in this sure it's absolutely common grace that's common grace from god that we are that all of humanity gets to enjoy sure and when you break and break from that and you can see that common grace played out in the cultures across the world totally so Absolutely. You go to, I mean, go back to what is a woman. That's one of the things Matt Walsh does. He goes to a kind of an indigenous, what we, what we would call an indigenous tribe in Africa mm-hmm. and kind of posing the question and that they know nothing but man and woman. Sure. <laughs> Two distinct sexes, period. They're not malleable, whatever. And they get married. That's it. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it's a common grace. I'm pretty strong in that. I'm going to push you into that more and more. Just give it time. Sure. Just keep preaching at you. Or I'll just be contrarian. Yeah, just because you like that. All right, it is lawful for Christians and non-Christians to marry so long as they are able to enter that union voluntarily in the right state of mind. So, so don't get married in Vegas, <laughs> in front of, and don't let Elvis be the one who. But they can you're be not in the right, in the right state. state of, <laughs> I don't know. Just because you're in Vegas, or are you saying if you're if you're <laughs> flying to Vegas, <laughs> you don't you don't stay in Vegas in the right state of mind. <laughs> you end up married in front of Elvis, who's presiding. Uh, the right state of mind. Yet it is their duty of Christians to marry in the Lord. So if you're a Christian, you marry in the Lord. Sure. Right? And you marry other Christians in the Lord. You reference First Corinthians seven, an important text that upholds that. Therefore, those who profess the true religion should not marry unbelievers or idolaters, which is what I just said. Neither should they who are godly be unequally yoked by marrying those who are wicked in their life or maintain damnable heresy. Ooh, coming in strong. Mm-hmm. So pretty clear here in terms of defining what marriage is now we wanted to continue to fill out like we have a great confession of faith but obviously we want to go back to scripture that's what confession of faith good confession of faith do so genesis 128 could you read that and then kind of begin to dissect that for us genesis 128 scroll man scroll <laughs> <laughs> uh 128 and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth mm, that's good so what do we see here, man? We see one of the mandates uh, of this, you know, mm-hmm. you know, partnership to subdue the earth. Part of it is to be fruitful and multiply. Make babies. Make babies. Yeah. Ah, absolutely. Yeah. 100% and raise them in the Lord, Deuteronomy Really 6. hard to do that when it's not between a man and a woman. I mean, we're not trying to, like, talk down, and we don't want to be rude or mean, but you see God's design and the, the fruit or the, you know, the consequences of God's design. Mm-hmm. Man, woman, created equally in God's likeness and image. And when they come together, they multiply and have other babies made in God's likeness and image. Right. So this is part of the purpose of, of that union and of that marriage. Yeah. And so I think you can kind of roll that in with, with the definition. Yeah. So this continues on in our uh, confession of faith. Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of a husband and wife, uh, for the increase of mankind with children and the prevention of uncleansiness. You know what I find interesting? Mm. Countries that become secular, sure, they have less babies. When you begin to, I mean, this is true in like, um, you know, if you take uh, uh, even Islam, right? They don't know God, the God of the Bible. They don't know God. They, they worship a false God. They're yep. an idolatry. Yep. But even they understand the common grace of marriage and multiplying. Yeah. When you move away from religion in general, specifically, let's say, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, when you move away from those, you move into secularism. And when you move into secularism, there are less babies. That is statistically a fact, Jack. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't looked at this recently, but I remember looking at different birth rates of different countries. You know, the United States is down. I think we've dipped below two mm-hmm. two babies. Um, Japan's, Japan's birth rate is terrible. Yeah. France, Western Europe. Oh, my goodness. Totally. And why is that? I think it, it, I personally think it stems from the self-centered. I, I think there's a, you know, a I think there's a, absolutely. There's an ethos mm-hmm. within all these Western countries in particular. You mentioned Japan. Mm-hmm. I think that would probably be an outlier 
I don't know China for a while, but they had the one baby law, which is so c- communist. You only can have one baby and it has to be one gender. I think it was had to be all boys. I might be wrong. No, it didn't have to be all boys, but the culture of, of China tended to make it so you, you'd kill the, if it was a girl, you'd yeah. abandon them or uh, murder. <sighs> communism. I hate communism. I digress because um, I think within the Western society, so Western Europe, America, Canada, the focus on the individual self, once again, says it's all about me. It's not what you can contribute to someone else. It's about you fulfilling a particular desire mm-hmm. because of your own self-satisfaction that comes with that one desire. Right. Or desires. Like, like, for instance, in this you know passage in, in Genesis, verse 28, what is the purpose of sex? I'm well, sorry. I can drop it. Hopefully... Sorry, kids aren't listening. Oh, dude. But like, <laughs> but like, what's the purpose of sex? Like, yes, it's enjoyable, but it's to have kids. Yeah, absolutely. Procreation. You know, and if you lose that that vision of God's design for sex and marriage, part of it being procreation, sex becomes a recreational activity to bring pleasure. Totally. And, and you begin to escape the responsibility that comes with sex, right? Like, that's part of what the ethos in our country has done, in Western society in particular, is that... We want to have the fun without the responsibility. Right. Right. We don't want to raise the kids. So we push off kids as far as we can. And look, I'm not hating on people because, you know, they're going to say, hey, we're going to get married and wait on kids for X amount of years because whatever. I know, I know, I know some people are like, we should really want to pay down debt, you know, sure. to college or whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not, sa- I'm not saying like the moment you get married, it's like, baby, I mean, I could make an argument for that, but I understand there's more complexity to it, right? Yeah. So I don't want to be dogmatic. Sure. But let's not be confused. There's a difference between realizing you have a nuanced situation for me from the guy down the street who are Christians who love the Lord and want kids. There's a difference from that conversation and what we're seeing in general society, which is kids are bad. Yeah. Marriage is bad. Yeah. It, it, once you get married, it's the ball and chain, right? Oh, I hate that. I, I know. Marriage has been one of the best things that have ever happened Same, in my life. Man. It is. There is my salvation. Number one best thing that's happened to me. Amen. Marriage. Same. Man. Same. And then for me, I got kids. You don't get kids after that, man. And is marriage work? Yes. Is it good work? 100%. Is parenting work? Uh-huh. Do I have great kids who are little sinners who need Jesus? Yep. And is it my responsibility to raise them in the Lord? 100%. Yep. But kids are seen as a burden. Marriage is seen as a burden. What do I say almost every single Sunday when it comes to kids? That they're not a burden. But they're a blessing. They're a blessing. Absolutely. We have options for them if they, you know, you want to take them to the kids' room. Mm -hmm. But they are welcome in our sanctuary. 1,000%. And this this gets me into a footnote of what we're talking about, but I might as well mention it since we went there. What drives me nuts about the evangelical church in America is that we have siloed our kids and youth. We have disconnected them from their parents. Mm -hmm. And we have told youth pastors, we have told children's directors or whatever, you're the primary discipler Mm -hmm. and not the parents. That, I mean, I think American evangelicalism has done a disservice to how we understand marriage family sure and i'm not saying there's not a place for a youth pastor i i I used to be a pastor of a youth for four years 
Loved it. Loved it. I think good Christian teachers, for example, can come alongside parents and care for their youth, right? Yeah, did you just do the, I'm not a youth pastor, I'm a pastor over youth. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, it's because I was a pastor over several things. That sure. had to be one of them. But there's another reason yeah, I mean, for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about this. Like, if you have a, a, you know, parents that are disconnected from the discipleship of their kids, they think that their kid's fine because they're sending them to, you know, youth group once a week on Wednesday, which is just a common model. Yeah. But then they spend hours upon hours in secular education. Yeah. And then they're surprised when the kid goes off to college and, like falls away from the faith. What is that? What is the saying? Go send send your kids to be educated by Caesar, and you're surprised that they turn out to be Romans. Sure, yeah, that's voting outcome. But is that what it is? Okay, yeah. And we're not having a conversation on education here. <clears throat> sure, whether private, public, or whatever. I think or homeschool like we do. I think the primary point to be made here is that parents need to be the primary disciplers in their kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Dad, mm, mm, dude, um, this is a PG podcast, right? You've been hopping. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dads. It's a Christian podcast. A Christian. So <laughs> just, uh, dads, <laughs> come on, man. Step up to the plate. Yeah. And if sometimes the pitcher throws at your head, you get back up to the plate and you start swinging, take care of your wife, take care of your kids, man. It's the way God designed it. Yeah. And it, I mean, really, to loop this back into marriage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> back from the footnote <laughs> to the main text. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking about marriage and like the design of marriage and you know, like how it's between a man and a woman and how it's, you know, to produce kids. Like, look at the law and how many, how many laws there is, or at least in Deuteronomy, like exhortations for ki- you know, parents pass down the faith to your kids. Mm-hmm. That's why they're instructed to like read the Shema in the mm-hmm. morning and I believe the evening yeah. too. So. Parenting, very important. Parenting in the in context marriage. of a man and, and a, a woman. woman. And because a man and a woman who are created differently by God also have different giftings. You know, it's part of being a man and being a woman. In which we can get into that perhaps in another day. But uh, you might say this about marriage mm-hmm. and about um, people talk about function. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing about the evangelical world that I wish we would hit the pause button a minute and think a little bit more clearly about what we're saying. A lot of churches, when they talk about men and women, specifically in the home and the church, go to function. Sure. This is what a man does. This is what a woman does. And you know what? I get that. Because like, there's some scriptural warrant to explain how the roles. these roles work. But it kind of falls on deaf ears sometimes. Sure. If you don't go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to see more of the ontological questions that exist, like mm-hmm. the nature of a man and a woman. Like they are different and they are the same. We already talked about image and likeness in Genesis 1, 26, 27, but they're also different, which we're going to get to here in a moment when we get to Genesis 2. And so you actually, before you jump to Ephesians 5, you got to go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And then you also have to wrap your mind around this fact, and this is in Genesis 2, and this gets repeated several times throughout Scripture. When the two become de- come together they are one one. flesh and you don't tear that one flesh apart which is again within the context of a man and a woman in marriage and and can you imagine like i mean i'm not trying to be crude but like can you imagine ripping your your flesh your forearm off your body like the grotesque picture is meant to shock you into place Mm -hmm. when you think about marriage 
between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Right. I mean, as you were preaching in Matthew, you know, let man not separate what God has, you know, put together. Yeah. So. <sighs> I'm all worked up, man. What do I do? Uh, talk more. Let's keep going. All right. Let's move to Genesis 2, <laughs> actually, because I'm sure folks are like, okay, you've mentioned that. Let's get there. Genesis 2, uh, uh, verses 23 reads this. The man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, Logan, before we talk about the specifics of the passage, mm-hmm. explain, the, in your view, the differences between Genesis 1 and what's going on there in Genesis 2. Because if you're reading this kind of like chronologically, sure, you'd have been like, hey, hold on. He created them, and male and female, he created them. And what's going on here? Now we have something else going on. Next chapter, Genesis 2. Yeah. We're not supposed to read this chronologically, correct? I would, yeah, absolutely. Um, the way I read Genesis 1 and 2 is, so Genesis, Genesis 1 is the big, big overall picture yeah. of, uh, creation. God, of creation. Yeah. Um, and the crown jewel of God's creation being man and woman. Right. Because that's the last thing we are, the crowning glory of the creation of God, as Bodhi Malcolm would say. Yeah. He was my biggest influence. <laughs> Still is. Love that guy. Still a fanboy. <laughs> that's not bad. He's, um, he's good stuff. And But then what it does is then focuses in specifically on man and woman's creation. Mm-hmm. You actually kind of see that pattern in Genesis where it starts broad and gets narrower. Yeah, it's good. Because, you know, you, you see, you know, um, God talking about, like, the all the people then focusing on Noah oh, then he's and like, expanding oh, and, and all, focusing on Abraham. And also, also in Genesis one and Genesis two created animals. And all of a sudden Genesis two, Adam's got to like name them. Right. So, so Genesis two is just a focusing on creation of man and woman and also their, you know, part of their purpose. Right. Um, and specifically with this passage from verse 23, the previous context was God's like, Adam needs a helper. Yeah. Have him name all the animals. Yeah. Um, and I, personally, the way I read it is like, okay, God, he needs a helper. So I'm going to make him name all the animals. So he realizes none of them can be helpers. <laughs> and um, also maybe realize you need a helper. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, this is a, this is a male cow and a, that's a female cow. This is a, a male dog and a female dog. And I'm just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> they all Wait have one specific part and the other one does it. Where's my... Um, so it's somewhat of a playful read on it, but then sure. it, then, you know, then he puts him asleep and he takes a rib from Adam mm. and forms Eve out of Adam. This is such an underplayed, underpreached text because it truly speaks to one, the relationship between man mm. and woman, but also be- beginning to see what this function looks like and the mm. dependency on one another. Mm-hmm. And I word, use the word dependency in light of my marriage with Sharice, right? I say I think you see it here in the text, mm-hmm. and you use playful language to describe it. But I've also often t- said to people, you know, I would be so lost without my wife. And I know I'm not Amen. lost because I'm connected to Christ, and you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about spiritually. I am so reliant and dependent upon my wife, and in a good way. Like, I love her, and she she brings me so much value. She's my chief counselor when I'm feeling down. Um, she's my helper. She's my lover. I mean, again, I'm not talking crude. I'm just talking about what God, how God has designed marriage. I don't, mm-hmm. know what I, I don't know where I would be without her. And I'm not saying that if, you know, something happened to her or happened to I, the Lord couldn't care for the other person. He certainly will. 
Um, right. And I think you see that deep intimacy in this text. What is what is Adam's first words? This is at last. At last, yeah. At last. Like, finally, right. where have you been? I've been naming all of these Come animals. On. None of them are like me. Oh. And he says, at last, bone yeah. of my bone, flesh of my flesh. flesh. At last. That's good. I think I think Genesis two is really instructive, and and you see the rest of Scripture begin to fill this out about the dynamic between mm-hmm. man and woman. And I think it's interesting that from this creation, from you know coming from Adam, being flesh of his flesh, because Eve was designed that way, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It's the very fact that Eve is flesh of his flesh. I think. Yeah is why they can come together in, in you know, union. We have a good friend that um, he's a loves math, and we talk about, like, 2 plus 2, you know, equals 4, right? You know? Sure. And he understands the logic and the philosophy behind the math. Or, and I'm always like, no, nah, man, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Like, you put two sticks there and two sticks there, and you you, you count them together, you got 4. And he's like, well, you know, it's more complicated than that. He's not, being, he's not being woke. He's just he's really thinking through kind of the logic. He's just brilliant mind. Here's my point. This is the one time I allow it. Right here, Genesis 2. 1 plus 1 equals 1. When a man and a woman come together, they are one flesh. Mm-hmm. It's the one time I will allow <laughs> that kind of logic go through. Cause, and it's what we talked earlier. You can't, you're not supposed to take it apart once they're together. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's beautiful. Uh, so God created with order. Right. Um, Purpose purpose created purpose god created adam with specific responsibilities god knew that adam needed a helper the creation of eve is not a reaction of uh, to deficiencies in adam but to highlight the beauty and mystery of marriage and uh i think when you see that in your own life you're a dude married to a woman you're a woman married to a dude and it's healthy mm-hmm. obviously we we what we do know is that because of sin you could have someone who, with good intentions, say, hey, I do. And you get married to that woman, you get married to that man, and it goes south. But um, when you pursue God in the context of marriage and you continue to pursue God, mm-hmm. uh, I tend to think there generally is blessing to walking into God's design. And you mentioned that mystery mystery of marriage. I think this would be possibly a good time to, to talk about what is the answer to that mystery. Yeah. Um, where, where would we go for that? I know you know the answer. Where would we go? I happen to preach through a book of the Bible where the answer is located. Uh, I think it was Ruth. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians. Although we can go to Ruth and Boaz. And <laughs> yeah. There's a lot we could talk about mm, there. but Interesting. Yeah. yeah, but we go to Ephesians, specifically I believe Ephesians 5, where it talks about like what is the mystery of, of marriage. And Paul gives a very clear answer. The answer to the mystery is that marriage itself is a depiction of of Christ and his church. It's really important. I think that's extremely important because, you know, I have been asked, like, why do you care so much that marriage is between a man and a woman? You know, why can't it be, be a man and a man, be a man, and a man, a woman, a woman, a man and three women, women and a dozen men. Sure. Whatever. Which, which by the way, people are like, well, there's polygamy in the Bible. Yes, there was polygamy in the old Testament and God put up with it. And then it was corrected. Right. Not, it's not, not like God wasn't like God never celebrated polygamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Like, yeah, up, he wasn't like, yeah, Solomon had 300 wives. Yeah, no, you go, guy. No, that's not what was going on there. Master key right there. Anyways, you're, you were going on with, with Ephesians. Right. In the so we see, so people ask, like, well, why, why is it so important that it's a man and woman? It's like because it's a depiction of Christ mm-hmm. in his church. Like, marriage isn't just functional of, like, pro- procreation. It's also deeply theological. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Christ, the loving, sacrificial leader of the church. Yeah. The church, the loving, you know, follower, you know, obedience to Christ. Like, that's that's gorgeous. And when you start to mar that and twist that yeah. to human desires and fleshly desires for man and man and woman and woman, you're marring that depiction. Yeah. I would go so far to say it's blasphemous. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to push back against that. This is what gets me so frustrated here in, in American uh, Christianity is that, you know, two guys coming together in marriage and they call themselves Christians or two, mm. two gals coming together in marriage and call themselves Christians. They've totally lost any sense of what it means to God, what it means about being married. Mm-hmm. They've lost, they have no, under, they've, we use the word theology, right? You see the theological underpinnings of marriage between a man and a woman and what that reflects mm-hmm. and the profundity of it and the substance of it. That substance is lost Yeah, when a man, two, two dudes or two gals get together in marriage. Yep. You, you mar the depiction of Christ in the church. You lose the functional aspect of procreation mm-hmm. and you lose the fact that you lose the differences and the importance of the differences between man and woman in marriage itself. Yeah. Uh, you went to Ephesians. Ephesians is good. Uh, people go to Ephesians and they kind of like read past it. You begin in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife and as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, what did Christ do for the church? Died. He died for the church. Mm-hmm. When, there's a hang up for some people when they get here. They're just like, so the husband's in charge. Right. He, what about the woman? What about the wife? Well, but, but when you realize the call of being a husband. Oh, yeah. And we're talking, it's a different ball. If game. you haven't died for your wife, you haven't been self-sacrificing enough. Correct. That's absolutely right. And that's the one of the, the one of the points of Ephesians 5. That's what Paul is trying to say. It's like, there is nobody on the face of the earth who should be sacrificing more than a husband for his wife. Laying it down. In addition to leading, spiritual leading. Right. In particular, protecting providing things things of that nature right um and you and some of those things are done in cooperation with your wife right but at the end of the day guess who's guess who's on the line before god mm-hmm. when it comes to how your wife was cared for how your kids were cared for the husband the husband dude it's you dude yeah so yes i think you definitely see you know male leadership within the marriage role but you also see that male responsibility correct and i think you also see that with original sin yeah who is blamed for sin entering in the world. It's not Eve. No. And who 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 grabbed the apple from the serpent? It was Eve. It was Eve. And, and who does God go to when he's like, Adam's just walking through the garden. Where are you, Adam? As if God didn't know. Mm-hmm. Adam. Yeah. It's your fault, dude. Right. And where, where were you when, oh, you weren't being a responsible husband. Right. That's what's going on. I mean, on. in fact, if you read, he was right next to her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get the sense that, like, Adam was like, hey, what's Eve up to? Hey, what's that serpent over there? Yeah. 
Alright, we're gonna let it slide, even though I know God specifically told me not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But we're gonna see how this plays out. To uh, borrow your phrase, the buck stopped with Adam. The buck stopped with Adam. And so the, the responsibility of sin entering into the world is on Adam. Yeah. And in the same way, with husbands, buck stops with us, responsibility is also with us. Yeah, yeah and, we, and we see how specifically Paul talks about the first Adam. Mm-hmm. And um, when he talks about depravity, mm-hmm. and then he talks about the second Adam being Christ, and so that continues to get filled out. So we're not we're not anti woman, we're, we're we're pro, we're not anti wife, we're pro God's design for man and woman, mm-hmm. husband and wife, in and, marriage, in marriage, and the natural responsibilities God has given, which which results in specific functions at times. Mm-hmm within marriage and in the church too, but we're not going to get there today. So uh, continuing on in our confession of faith, um, it says this in 27.2, God instituted marriage as one flesh union between one man and one woman. All other attempts of sexual unions are illegitimate and contrary to God's good design, which is what we've been trying to articulate here. Right. Right. Within marriage, the confession continues, husbands are called to exercise loving headship in imitation of Christ. What was that part of that imitation? Self-sacrificial. Right. right? Self-sacrificial. I was verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Um, if you want a, a cross-reference there. Husbands, an imitation of Christ and his love for the church, right? Wives are called to exercise respectful submission. Continue to read Ephesians 5 and you'll, and you'll see that. In imitation of church in relation to Christ. You just couldn't be more clear. And this gets to the beauty and the depth of Christ in the church and Absolutely. his relationship to Christ in the church. Um, so uh, there's been some critiques over the years, Logan. What? Nah, what? And, you know, sometimes people are just trying to take an honest look at, okay, does the Bible really say that? Yeah. <clears throat> Here's the chief one that I've heard, heard when it comes to men and women and marriage and sure. whatever else have you. Um there's a, there's a couple. This is the chief one that I've heard. Jesus never addresses specifically the issue that a man and a woman, and only a man and a woman, can come together sure. in holy matrimony. Sure. Wrong. How so? Well, I mean, we just we mentioned, I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses marriage. He addresses a divorce, though. In the context, how do you address divorce without <laughs> talking about marriage? Yeah, you know, you can't say okay, these like this is the context for divorce. Well, divorce from what? Well, in, in marriage, okay, what's what's marriage like? But he specifically even references Genesis, yeah, yeah saying man and woman join together, the two become one flesh. Jesus specifically talked about marriage. Now you could say, well, okay, okay, okay. Well, in that, in that, you know culture or context and whatnot maybe they didn't have homosexuality homosexuality and marriage like but they way. did but they totally did romans, romans one romans were extremely sodom gomorrah whoo yeah like it was around it's not like this is a new thing like sin's not new right yeah it, you you know maybe they'll go on and say well christ didn't say you know this specifically was wrong but it was like it you know when christ is describing marriage He's not going through the negatives of like, okay, so marriage is not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. He just says what it is. It's kind of like if there was a group of women in like 12, 12 women and one of them is my wife, I wouldn't go through and be like, that one's not my wife, that one's not my wife, that one's, I would just say, Kennedy's my wife. 
yeah. this one right. particular. So he's very specific, and he does address it. Second point. Okay, they're saying, oh, Jesus never addressed this. Okay. Who is Jesus? The son of God, son of man. And the second person of the Trinity. Yes. God. He is God, which means that he was present and in Genesis all the way through Revelation. Oh, he's eternal. Right. Well, all of scripture is also Jesus' word. Right. Like, the three persons of the Trinity weren't in disagreement. So so let's reference, say, Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2. We could reference Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, that the one who created it all was, mm, could it be... Jesus, right? Yeah, uh, I would also, go, you know, go. You can go to like Levitical texts on yeah, this subject, yeah. which mentions that's also Jesus's word. That's why I don't like red letter Bibles. I hate because like, oh, this is specifically hate, hate's too strong. It's, I, I'm annoyed by it. Oh, it's all Jesus's word. Yeah, like all right. So yeah, and, and everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. By the way, I got going to do a podcast with a friend uh, here in the near in the next month here on reading Jesus in the Old Testament. I have a good book for that. Yeah, I got a couple. Literally called Jesus in the Old Testament. Was it John MacArthur's? Nope. Oh, where it was by. Uh, the, the the reference point in Matthew five was this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who uh, who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And it is no doubt that Jesus, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, was looking at the husbands and saying, "I'm pointing the finger at you, fellas." Did I get the wrong text? Because there is literally one where he mentions. Well, you had the one on lust as well, where okay. I th- where I where I take that to mean that Jesus is pointing the finger at the dudes, and I explain that in great length why I believe that that was the context, and that what, why that continues to be the context going back to the, the creation account, going back to Genesis one and two, and how God created uh, men and women, and uh, for one another, right? One man one woman all right man uh, any other objections that people might have absolutely but like this what? this is now aha aha i did get the wrong text matthew <laughs> 19 oh yeah 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 jesus yes, yes in the red letter that i have here so it's clear what was the song red letters by david crowder i don't know but jesus also said in matthew 19 have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male oh, yeah. and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife so you see sorry that is the text that i was referencing where he specifically and then paul picks that up in ephesians 5 right so it's it's consistent throughout the bible yeah it absolutely is all right other objections now are we talking about like secular objections to us or also within like christianity either or so i mean we already addressed like the whole polygamy thing yeah you know um, polygamy is in the Bible, but we have to remember that a lot of the Old Testament is historical books. They're narratives. Right. They aren't prescribing something. They're just describing. Right. So something. genre matters when you read your Bible. Like, is it a letter? Is it a historical book? Is it a prophetic book? You know, sometimes within a book of the Bible, you got a little bit of both. Right. Psalms are different. You know, Proverbs, mm-hmm. whatever. Now, this is one I'm sort of thinking of off the cuff. We've described that, you know, marriage is actually part of the design for man and woman, mm-hmm. you know, to come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about Paul teaching that m- people should be unmarried, like stay Single. unmarried? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that cut against this whole idea that we're like, oh, part of the creation of man is is to actually be married? No, this is where I go, like, two things can be true at the same time, right? Like, uh, marriage is good. God created it. Um, but it's clear not all people are called to it. 
I think most people are called to it. Right. When you understand it rightly, when you understand it from a, from a biblical perspective. Right. Like the whole idea of multiplying that mm-hmm. doesn't happen when you stay, well, it's supposed to happen in the context of marriage. It doesn't happen when you stay single, but that, that's not true. Um, but again, we're trying to, we're trying to map on God's design. Uh, Paul does say, and he was single, right? And by the way, I don't buy the whole Jesus was single, therefore I'm single thing. That totally misunderstands. Well, because what's the caveat that Paul gives for for a remain single? If you can have self control, right? If you have first, yeah, First Corinthians seven, yeah. If you have self control, then you can remain single. That way, you can devote yourself to you know to Christ and to God, and you won't you know have multiple responsibilities. Yeah, I have met very little people. <laughs> That can actually have enough self-control. I've known very few guys, but I know one guy in particular who's very honest about it, who I think really had a really pure heart, was raised in a great Christian home, and uh, his parents taught him a very healthy view of women and sexuality and whatever else have you. Uh, but generally speaking, that's a hard one to follow, a hard one to track. Right. I'm not saying a person who says thinks they're called to singleness, I'm not arguing against that per se, but you got to begin to test your heart against sure. that because that's what paul says exactly so i would say in general the design and likely outcome is marriage because right. most people cannot actually control themselves right so i agree with that any other ground you want to cover what about um can't think of one off the top of my head do you have any more objections to her or what do you say like i mean we've kind of addressed this throughout the thing but the you know Oh, we should be married because we just love each other. That's not really grounds for marriage. Yeah, but here's what I would say. I think ev- I think a- I think a lot of people, not everyone, I think a lot of people get married, and it's a little bit naive. They're a little naive, like as to why they're getting married, and, or or understanding like the profound nature of marriage. Sure. Even if they've gone through good premarital counseling, like I remember when I was engaged to my wife, I was just love struck, you know, just like you're the best thing since sliced bread, you know. <laughs> I mean, even the invention of the round wheel doesn't compare to you, you know, just like. And so I think, you know, we we went through a process to get married. Mm-hmm. And even that, I don't think, I, I think, but I think, here's what I would say. It's taken 15 years, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's been a trajectory of understanding how our relationship um, is a metaphor for mm-hmm. Christ and the church. And it's going to take another 15 years to, to continue to grab that spade and grab that shovel and dig and dig and see the depth of the of the beauty of marriage. And so I think people come to marriage for different reasons, for sure. Um, I, I've People always ask me the question, you know, if two people are a man and a woman are sleeping together and they love each other, should they get married? I would say, yeah, but they need to stop sleeping together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to knock it off. And then, yeah. you know, make a beeline to the altar. And by the way, get really good premarital counseling. Oh, yeah. You need to repent of your sin. Because you know what could happen? You could stop having that physical intimacy. You could stop having sex and then realize, I was kind of just in it for, for the, the sex. sex. Yeah. That's not a good foundation no, for marriage. No, that's not a good foundation. Now, can God redeem those things? I've absolutely. seen that before, absolutely. But if you want a healthy marriage, a biblical marriage, and I use the word success very loosely here because that's could be used in so many different, so many different ways, but... Let's use it for the sake of terminology here. Uh, you you want to start out on the right foot, and you want to go through quality premarital counseling. You want a pastor in particular to come alongside you, and and just be real with you, not sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know what, your love struck. That's great. 
But as much as you're able right now, I want you to have open eyes about what's to come. Right. Because I want you um, to be the to have the best, most healthy and biblical marriage you possibly can have, as it reflects you know Genesis one and two, Ephesians five, um, in particular those texts because we referenced them First Corinthians seven. So, any other questions? Nope. All right. Hey, reading any good books? Reading any good books? Um, I'm reading Introduction into Criminal Justice. Slight reading. Yeah. Well, I I got really into law because you're making noise now. Sorry. Got dogs, cats, Birds. and Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just got really into into the legal system for America because I've been following a few court cases, such as um, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. Johnny Depp, Amber no, Heard. No, this started Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse started then. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, I think her name was Kim Potter. So. The gal in Minnesota police yep. officer. Okay. Nicknamed Taser Cop. Really? Yeah, because she yelled taser, taser, taser. Didn't have a taser. And oh, she fired a gun. Yeah. Anywho, so that's what I've been reading. It's not the light note I wanted to end on, Logan. (laughs) Sorry, you asked me what I was reading. I got into criminal justice, so I've been kind of reading that. Um, But I'm slow. I need to pick up more books. I've gotten now so many new books from you. And another member of our church. And I'm like, ooh, I want to read this one. It's funny. He's one. like, he's like, do you want these books? I'm like, no. Just got rid of books. Got rid of books, and I got a lot of books already. Like, you but can, if you, you find a first, if you find a guy who's just at a seminary, he, they always take him. It's true. I don't even have shelf <laughs> shelving space for it. Yeah, I just took it because I loved it. Like, I want to read the eight volumes that you gave me for uh, church history. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. By, by uh, Chafe, I think. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about you? Uh, currently reading a book, How to Stop Because We're Moving, Discontinuity to Continuity. It's basically mapping out the big theological paradigms that exist from mm. classic dispensationalism to, I think, what was called restorationism. Sure. And within that within that um, scale, from one, one, one part of the scale to the other, you have everything from you know, a more nuanced dispensationalism to <coughs> progressive dispensationalism, pro- progressive covenant theology, covenant theology. And the author, Benjamin Merkel, who I actually had in seminary, a great teacher and a great writer, I think, uh, he's just kind of showing the nuances and similarities between all these different um, systems of theology that we tend to uh, place onto the text. And I like to think, mm. at least from my perspective, my theology comes from the text. Sure. Yeah, you know, I don't want to just always a bias you got to look out for. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, so it's been a good book. I'm actually halfway through it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those books that if I just sat down and read, I could probably finish it in a couple hours. And what book of the Bible are you in currently or want to start? Good question, man. Uh, well, I'm obviously in Matthew. Right. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. But I'm also in Romans. I was thinking I wanted to get back into Romans. Yeah, so what I decided to do, I got these ESV reader Bibles. Sure. And this is a nice, yeah. If you're not familiar with them, um, and it, they're really helpful. Now, the, the, what makes them different from your regular Bible is it doesn't have the headings, doesn't have chapter and verse, doesn't have any of that. It just reads like a book, right? And which uh, is kind of the intended point, right? <laughs> yeah, people usually don't realize this, but like chapters and verses were introduced, I think, during the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Useful for citing, yeah, totally, and good for memorization, right? Right, you memorize Romans three twenty three or John three sixteen or whatever. And that's great. I think memorizing scripture is awesome. Having those reference points is awesome. But there's something different, something unique about just kind of reading through without those interruptions and distractions. Yeah. 
And so I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a, one of the Pauline epistles. Mm. And so it starts in Romans and just continues on. Another good reason not to have the headers is it can kind of bias you totally to, to the, like, cause it, the headers are a little bit of an, an exegesis of like what's going to come. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it can be nice just not to have those and be like, okay, if I'm sitting down and looking at this text, what am I really getting out of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Oh, you're right. So I, I want to, usually I'm in, when I'm in a New Testament book, I'm also in an Old Testament book in terms of its actual study and devotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, make, there's a little bit of an exception right now. Once I get through that, I'll probably go back. I probably want to go through the historical books again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been through the prophetic books uh, more recently. So, I, my, and, you know, I'm always in Psalms, I feel like. I think I'm in Psalms almost every day, reflecting on at least a verse or something. So, all right, all right, man. So, what was the movie that we referenced at the beginning? Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Did we do the Princess Bride justice? No, because the Princess Bride doesn't do the Bible justice. <laughs> okay, <laughs> again, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I just know all the all Christians I know have seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate it. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you're on, watching on YouTube or listening on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, leave a comment if you'd like. Notification bell too for YouTube. Notification bell that you get it right away when it drops. Uh, we're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those relevant places. Hey, uh, share it with a friend. It's probably one of the biggest things. Um, oh yeah. Help us. We want to give people biblical grounding. Help them understand good theology the best that we can understand it and, and relay that to others. And if you think someone could be helped by it, uh, share it with a friend. But that's it for now from the farm. Actually, it's no longer the, like, it's like the horse farm. Yeah. Horse Missy, stable. Can you plant some corn just right Actually, if you right go out the, the, out the front door and just walk across the driveway. Corn? Corn. Okay. Still cornfield Still theology. Still corn for theology. Still with horse horses. Field. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Upgrades, yeah. people. Upgrades. <laughs> Peace out, everyone. God bless. Take care. Bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.